Hi in the hills of Happy Valley, Oregon. Welcome to Until We Meet Again, brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, and friends like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground and mortality, because after all, we are all in this together. Today's reading is 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. My guest today is Rico Kaplan. He's a missionary, a street preacher, an author. He's a man of fire for God. He does fantastic things around the city of Portland. He's got shoes shining going on, cross-making, an unofficial Uber ministry, and whatever else comes up along the way. He's also a fan favorite here at Until We Meet Again. So I know this is a loaded question, and I don't quite know what the answer is going to be, but what's new? (laughs) (laughs) What's new? Just out and about. Actually, what's new is uh, recently because of some, uh, in, in, our, in our godly perspective, nefarious activities in the city of Portland, one of which is coming up uh, in the next weekend, I believe. I put out 400 flyers in the neighborhoods uh, promoting God's kingdom and denouncing the kingdom of darkness. Let's put it that way. So <laughs> 400, 400 flyers. Uh, telling people it's important to repent and to give their life to Christ before it might be too late for them uh, in a city where where traditional family values are decried and where anybody trying to promote a normal family is uh, almost castigated. It's an interesting activity, believe me. Yeah, do you find just in general that if you fit that norm of one man, one woman going about your business, you're just sort of on it's the fringe? A big, it's, not, it's not on the fringe. Uh, when I was, look, look, I've preached downtown on the corner of um, Morrison and Broadway, Southwest. And there have been times when all I did was read Romans 1, 18 through 32. Just read it. And as people walk by, they cuss me out, spit at me threatened me physically, tried to hit me, just because I was saying what God says about families. So it's kind of, it's, it's unfortunate that way, but it's, it's in a sense very much like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, where it says the people were in an uproar about this righteous man, Lot. And uh, it, it, you don't have to do much over here to get people upset. I had, there was a guy walking down the street, literally, with, with a three- by three by three inch piece of cloth on his front. That's all he had. Okay, it was a little. I can't even call it a G string. I don't know what kind of string it was. Uh, I said, "Look, people, at this naked man walking down the street. Something wrong with that. Nobody's even turning around. Nobody's saying anything about it. This nakedness is for only for the context of a a marriage before God between a man and a woman." And I got all kind of problem with that. I got, I, I got in trouble. People, people did not like it. Well, what happened if he got into one of your cars, your Lyft or your Uber? If he, got, uh, if he was not dressed, he wouldn't get into my car. Yeah, it ruins bad for this leather, right? <laughs> but uh, it, it reminds me of a, a ministry I had for two years. A friend of mine and I, uh, he was a pastor in uh, Lacombe, Lacombe, Oregon. Uh, he and I uh, would drive from Estacada to Portland every day. 
uh, which means we had about 35 miles each way. And so we had a hitchhike ministry, and what we would do is uh, pick up anybody. Uh, we had a broke-down car. As a matter of fact, we had a sign on the back that said, if your life feels like our car looks, pull us over and we'll tell you about Jesus. I mean, kind of, <laughs> that's a good one. It's kind of cool. But we would have these people in there, and um, uh, we he would drive and I would uh, witness, or I would drive and he would witness. And then we had real tricky little things. Like we wait for the people to say, hey, what are you guys doing in Portland? And so we're going to medical school. And I said, what kind of school is that? Well, you know, we're studying cardiology. Well, what do you mean? Well, we're studying about the human heart. Uh, they said, what do you mean the human heart? Well, like your heart. It has a problem. Your heart has a disease. Did you know that, sir? Uh, no, the doctor didn't tell me. Well, we're here to tell you that you have a problem called sin. And this problem can't be fixed with medicine. And the only medicine that will work on this particular heart problem is the blood of Jesus. And then for the conversation went on from there. Uh, back in the day, this was back in um, 70, 76 to 78, uh, we had situations where People would say, you know what, I don't care. I'm not scared to die. When, you know, when the time comes, I'm going to go, and that's it. And back then, when it wasn't real scary in Portland about guns and weapons and all that, I used to carry a starter pistol, the kind that they use on the, um, on the track when you're, doing, you know, when you're doing a race or something like that. And uh, this one guy was just giving me a bunch of grief. I'm not scared. I'm ready to die. You can't do anything to scare me, blah, blah, blah. And I pulled that starter pistol and I put it in his face. I said, you have 10 seconds to live, man. Where are you going? What's, going, what's your bet going to be? And now the guy, back, you know, he, he thought I was a crazy whatever. Um, truth is, uh, I really, actually, when I talk to people about this, this is what I say. N none of us truly know what's going to happen when we die. I haven't done, I've never been there. You, know, you haven't been there. Jesus was there, but what we have is what, he's written, what, what, what was written, what he said about it, but we don't really know. So we really bet. We're betting that that's the best answer. Somebody said that following Christ gives you more answers to more of the questions. There's a lot of questions that we don't have, don't have the answers to, but everybody bets, everybody, atheists, agnostic, Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, everybody bets. The question is, you're on the airplane, that plane's about to go down, you have 10 seconds to live, where are you going to bet your eternal destiny? I want to understand, where are you going to bet it? And you will bet. You have bet already. Now, if you bet normally that you meditate and that gives you an answer, uh, I don't know that you're going to be meditating when the plane going down. Uh, recently, just recently, a friend of mine's daughter uh, was on a plane that almost crashed, and she's an agnostic, atheistic, agnostic type of lady. And I asked her, I said... Um, so when the plane was going down, or you thought it was going down, uh, what did you do? She says, I called on Jesus. I said, well, I, I rest my case. Yeah, yeah. So. How did you get into cross-making? Um, how I got into cross-making was, uh, I was in, in Kingston. Uh, there was a church there that needed an eight-foot cross. And they, kinda, they had one that they used. It was a Catholic church, and they use it for adoration on Good Friday. They they hold it up, and everybody goes up there and kind of makes a commitment, a recommitment to follow Christ, that kind of thing, right? And so their cross is old and broke down and splintery and nasty looking. And uh, I said, look, man, I, I, I do woodwork. I do uh, stonework. Uh, what would you like? He said, we like a full cross. And, and what was interesting was at that time I had just recover, started to recover from having been bitten by two ticks in Jamaica that gave me basically the Jamaican version of Lyme's disease. So I was kind of crippled up for about a year, and my hands really, really, really hurt bad. 
but they wanted to cross, so I got a, I got uh, eight two eight foot pieces of uh, Jamaican cedar. They were two by eight tens or two by twelves, and I worked on that. It took me three months to do because my hands hurt, so I could only work a couple hours a day. And so when that was done, and that had a lot of bass relief work and nice little detail and stuff like that, uh, brought it to the church. They've been using it ever since. Uh, but then people said, "Well, I'd like to. Can you make me a little one for my purse?" And my wife uh, belonged to a Bible study, and the ladies wanted to carry one in their purse. And they have really nice uh, uh, root mahogany over there, which is a real tight grain wood, and it smooths out real nice. And it's just beautiful. It's kind of red brown color. And so I made about four or five of them, and she. Yeah, then the next thing you know, she said, "Well, I'd like to. Um, I have another twenty girlfriends. Can you do it for them?" So I did. Then the church found out about it, and they want me to make more. And then there was a camp that we went to, and they had. Uh, I think. Uh, oh, what I did for the camp was the kids were building things. You know, doing what do they call it? Arts and crafts, right? And so um, I made the blanks. So all they had to do was glue them and sand them, or sand them and glue them. And so I made hundreds of those. And then before I left, I made another couple of two, three hundred for people that we were leaving and saying goodbye. And so people. And then on top, then there was, then there were people who would see me working on them in public, and they would say, "Well, I know a bishop here and a pastor there and a so and so here, and can you make one for them?" I said, "Sure, I will." And of course, people come up to you and say, "What are you making these things for?" And you say, "Well, this is the crux of the matter. Crux meaning cross. This is." The, the key concept of what Christianity is all about. So on top of doing something nice, it's something that gives you the opportunity to share the message about Christ. So that's, that's kind of how it happened. So putting to death the flesh of the oh, yeah. Taurus oh, yeah, yeah. holy living here. Oh, yeah, and, and, and embracing the cross. I mean, Jesus said, you can't be mm -hmm. number, uh, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. The cross was never intended to be of uh, a, a nice little decoration for our homes. It was an instrument of torture. It was an instrument of torturous death. So, you know, it really represents all that it really means, what it means to follow Christ. I'm putting death myself so that I can live. It's the only religion that teaches that, by the way. All the other ones tell you to meditate, cogitate, exfoliate, you know, do something like that. You know, <laughs> but we're supposed to die so we can live. <laughs> yeah. So you have two books here I want to talk about. The first one, Fire in My Bones, yeah. a 28-page manual on how to practice mm -hmm. daily evangelism. Yep. Tell me about that. Um, this is the deal. I would say most people that follow Christ probably are excited to, 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 to share this wonderful transformation that can happen in your life, not just here, but spiritually. But they don't know how to share it with people, and they're scared. They get, they get scared. They, what am I going to do if I'm standing there at the bus station? How do I break the ice and talk to the person and say this and that? So uh, I basically put together 28 tools that you can immediately use. So you read the chapter, you can do it for a week. Do it for a week because... In 28 days, you learn a new skill. This is 28 chapters, so it gives you two times in a year that you can practice the same skill. And every week you're practicing a new skill. What happens at the end of a month after 28 days is you've actually changed a, a, a habit. Okay, your habit is, I wish I could talk and I don't know how. At the end of the month, you're going to know how. So I give all kinds of tools and tricks. And there, it's not manipulation. It's, it's, it's breaking the ice. It's what it, it's what it takes to get people to open up. I'll give you an example. So let's say you're standing at Safeway and you're ready to get ready to buy some food and you're in line and the, the checkout person's right there and you're talking with them and you see them, they have a, a Band-Aid on their finger. Okay, Probably they cut their finger, probably they burn their finger, whatever. It's nothing dangerous or terrible. Well, 
How can you turn that into a moment of evangelism? Think about it. It may be the only time that person hears the gospel. It may be the only time. So uh, they, they're taking your stuff and they're looking at your card and you say, wait, but I mean, what happened over there? What happened to your finger over there? Oh, I cut it the other day. Now, instead of saying, may I pray with you or may I share a verse with you? You just grab their hand or grab their shoulder. And say, Jesus, this poor lady just got her finger cut. Can you please help her get well soon? If she's upset about it, give her a little comfort in Jesus' name. Amen. And then when you leave, say, by the way, we go to church up the road. You're welcome to come anytime. Next time I come, I want to hear that your finger's okay. Done. That only takes 20 seconds, 30 seconds. What's your response when you do that? I have never had anybody say, don't do it. Ever. That's amazing. Ever. Because we're in a society where we're very free-talking people who will get in your face whenever they want. Never has anybody said, don't do that. And anyway, how are they going to say it? By the time they can say it, you already put your hand on them. They, 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 it's too late. <laughs> is, is, I guess in this culture, can we still do that? You feel like yeah, safe? I've do done that. it in this culture. In this <laughs> secular humanist Portland, nobody ever turned me down. Ever. Plus, but I have more devious methods in the, in the, in the book. I use them today when I was driving, driving taxi. Uh, 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 you know, it's called bomb throwing. You throw out interesting things out that, that make people come out of the, where they're at. So like somebody's sitting in the car and they, and they say, wow, how long have you been doing Uber? Well, you know, after my five years of missionary work in Jamaica, I've been doing Uber for about a year and a half. Then you drop it. You don't say anything. Back when I was in sales, they always said, you ask the question, you make a statement, then the first person who speaks loses. So you say the statement, then I shut up. Now they're curious. What in the heck was he doing over there? What we, what's a missionary? What's Jamaica? What is it like? Ah. This and that. And then, and, then, and then I throw a few more bombs. This is bomb throwing. So I'm throwing out little curious points. So when I was working in the slums of Kingston with poor people, with young guys who were going to die at 21, why were they going to die at 21? And you, you got them hooked. Is done. That's just the book is filled with this stuff. Each week a different one, and it and it works. The assumptive I got to another one. The assumptive evangelism. I assume that the people are believers. I know they're not, but I act as if they are. So I might say, oh, you know, you know, when you hear missionaries come to your church and talk to you about going overseas, Africa, Jamaica, this and that, they haven't been to church in years, so they don't know what to say. So oh, I haven't gone to church for a while, long time. Oh, why not? What, what happened? You usually scratch that one, you hear the whole story. Next thing you know, you got 10 ways to enroll into their pain. So the book is filled with that. That's what, it's out of Jeremiah. You know, fire in the bones, he was saying, because Jeremiah was a prophet who said, I am sick of doing this job, God, because your people don't listen to me. The, the clergy, religious folks, don't like me. Some of the folks who are supposed to back me up are trying to persecute me. So God, and there's one chapter in Jeremiah, he says, I wish, I, was, I wish that when I was born, the doctor came to my mom and said, he's dead, throw him away. Jeremiah was the depressed, messed up prophet. And Jeremiah says, but... Your word was in me so strong. It was like fire, and I couldn't do anything else, but I had to speak it. So that's why it's called that. Fire in my bones, yeah. All right, so another book here, Pasta, yeah. Tales from the Feet of a Street Minister. Right, right. And this is your 30 or so, even more stories yep, of yep, your missionary journey. Yep, that's right. And what's funny about that, by the way, if you look it up on Kindle, make sure you put my name in it because there's books that are named like that and they're telling you how to cook Italian food. You know, it's true. Oh, pasta. <laughs> That's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. But this one has the stories has, of yeah, behind yeah. the gospel uh, yeah. encounter, not so much about how the linguine. Right? Yes, exactly. We're not talking about linguine here. But, um, you know, it's, it's basically what it was is I, I would come back from Jamaica and tell people stories. And some of them are from here, but most of them are from Jamaica. 
Um, and, and, and people say, wow, man, I wish you had that story in the, in a book. I wish you would write this story. I want to read about it. So, you know, by the time I had about, well, I had way more than 30, but I picked 34, 30, 35 of them out of all the various different ones and, uh, you know, and then put them down. So it, it's really in the beginning of the book, I say, I t I'll tell the little story of you walking down the street, a guy's walking down the street, he sees a homeless man, the homeless man has his hand out and he says, hey, give me some money. And, and he said, you know, in your mind, you say, give me a break. One more guy with his hand out asking me for money. But this guy's life in his, in his past, his father had left his family, had become an alcoholic. They lost contact, never heard from him again. And he's walking down the street, and he sees this bum, and he's just thinking typical, kind of like that, you know. And, and as he gets about a block away, he hears somebody call his name. He turns around, and it's the guy, and that was his dad. Now, the question I ask is, what would we do if we knew that our father that we hadn't seen in 30, 40 years was the homeless man on the street? Would we walk away and leave him there? Or let's turn it around. What if we were the guy and, one, and our children walked by? What would we do? Would we call out to them and would we hope they gave us something back? Mm -hmm. uh, so, and, and so let's even turn it around. What if that homeless man was Jesus? What would we do? And there was a place I saw that happened in a couple of cities in the United States where a pastor was supposed to be in, um, uh, uh, officially introduced to the church, to a huge church, with a big, huge monster church, 1,000 people, whatever. And um, uh, they were waiting for him to stand, you know, walk down the aisle and go up to the front. He had dressed and camouflaged himself as a super bum, like a real bad-looking homeless man, dirty and beard and the whole thing. And, and he was uh, on the outside of the church sitting outside, and he wanted to see what people would do. And some, most people walked by him. Most people didn't even say good morning. A couple of people gave him a little something, something. And, uh, and he just sat there until it was all done. Then they started to introduce the pastor. And, of course, nobody walked up front. It's a big church. Um, then the homeless pastor gets up from outside. Their camera's on this whole thing. And shows them trying to get into church. They wouldn't let him in. And then he showed the, the guys that it was him. You know, he shows him a little thing. Then they let, and then he gets up and he introduces himself as the pastor. And he was trying to make a point. I mean, to the least of these, right? That's what Jesus says in Matthew 25. So we can talk theology all day. But the bottom line is, what do we do? Who, who is my neighbor? That's the end of the, And Jesus basically said, I was hungry and you fed me. Come on in. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I never knew you. So it's kind of, that's the, the book is about that. It's little stories, but the point is, my neighbor is the guy that I'm next to right here, whatever that may mean. And I got to deal with that, you know, and, and I, got, I better deal with that because it could be the Lord himself. And it should be in our minds like if it was the Lord himself. And if we were that person wanting some help, how would we feel? It doesn't mean we have to be stupid because I had people ask me for money all the time in Jamaica. And I, I said, if I give everybody money, I'm going to be broken a week. Can't do that. But I'm going to try to help you move from A to C, A to B, A to C, B to C, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm going to try to not only feed your, your, your body but your soul. See, I'm going to give you both. These are trying to hustle me because they seem I'm the white guy with money, see. So I, 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 used to, I used to love it. I'd see them a block away, and they'd see me, and you could just see their little radar go, eh, you know, white boy alert, they're going to come after me, and I'm just thinking, please come. Because the moment they came, say, yeah, my brethren, you want to buy a phone charger? No, I don't. I just hustled you. As I said, Jesus just hustled you. You're trying to hustle me, but Jesus just hustled you. And I get to share with him. I said, tell me your story. And everybody has a story. They all have a story. 
you know, bad stories. No food, no hope, no nothing, three, four children, can't eat. How would you and I feel? It's rough. So when your shoes shining, do you have some a metaphor for that? Something about cleaning up the what are your thoughts? Shining about that? shoes, I'll tell you what shining shoes is. You see it's, it's shining shoes gives you insight into people's lives. Uh, I, I shine shoes for guys that have $1,000 suits or more, and they got shoes that are jacked up. They look like, my mom would have spanked me if my shoes looked like that. And these are grown people. These are grown guys, attorneys and doctors. And I, I can't believe it. So you're scuffed up or the heels are broken. You can tell a person's life. And I used to tell them, i say, your $1,000 suit looks like you bought it, you know, at the cheap store, at the Goodwill. And, and, and you're just walking around with a broke down suit, too. I said, let me, t- let me put some life in these shoes. And the thing that's nice about that is the average shoe, if it's a leather shoe, it doesn't, I've, I've actually calculated it. It takes me 12 minutes, 12 minutes to wash it, clean it, condition it, seal it, stain it, and protect it. And put some pep in your step. Pep, pep in your step, for real. <laughs> I'm serious, man. And all I want is $7. I mean, wow. it's, it's wow. and 12 minutes. I used to, I figured I can do five pairs an hour. Yeah, and, and, but, but the, the metaphor is definitely... I mean, if you want to, if you want to play that that one, I mean, it doesn't take much to change a life, really. I mean, I came to Christ on July 12, 1972, at 10 o'clock at night. Some teenagers had told me, Luke 12:20, tonight your soul will be required of you. I thought, really? Mmm, that sounds pretty ominous. Um, and 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 then they told me back then it can't be this half Jesus thing. It can't be. Uh, Savior now and Lord later. Uh, they just told me he's like the master. So if you're going to give your life to Christ, it has to be all or nothing. That's what they told me. And I just was walking up the street and looked into the heavens at the time. It was the summertime, July 12th, in Cannon Beach, and said, Jesus, I will follow you from this day on. Next thing I know, the next day, I'm thinking, wow. This is kind of cool stuff. I got to go tell folk about it. On the beach, I went, I had a little Gideon Bible, New Testament. I talking to people, telling them, wow, this is what happened to me last night. I didn't have music, didn't have the, you know, it wasn't none of that. No come up for it. I see that hand, all eyes closed, that, 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 that typical scenario. Nothing. It was just me and God. Um, my language got cleaned up overnight. I had a dirty, dirty mouth. Uh, on the way back to Portland, I hitchhiked to Cannon Beach. This is funny. I was just telling you a guy in the car the other day. On the way back to Portland, I was in. Um, I got picked up by two girls, two young girls, and uh, they 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 must have liked me. I was a hippie with the long hair and everything. And they said, "Oh, you know, we're going to Portland, but we know this lake, and there's some skinny dipping there." And this is 1972. You know, it was all kind of the rage and. Oh, we, we just think we could have a great time this afternoon. I remember thinking, man, I just gave my life to Christ yesterday. You know, <laughs> I, if I could have only happened days before, you know, but just yesterday I gave my life to Christ. Uh, you know what? I'm going to stand up for this. So I pulled out my Bible and I showed them, uh, uh, ladies, this is what I just did the other day. Man, they pull, I remember they pulled over, they pulled over uh, right past the Sylvan area, pulled over the car. They cussed me out. They said, you can get the mm out of the car. And <laughs> that was the end of that. And so that was my first test of uh, did I really mean it or not. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you got, if, you, if you say yes to Christ, you got you to gotta live it. He says that. He says, uh, 
don't 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 plow a field looking the other direction. You're gonna have a crooked line. Can't do that. So in your early young years here, when you were this you know attractive guy that women and whomever and all these opportunities, right. do were your friends going along with this too, or was that really tricky? I was I was over here and on the west coast. Most of my friends were on the west on the east coast, uh, but uh, my family didn't like it. My family kind of thought it was a little strange. Um, friends that I had thought I went, went off, off deep end. Uh, you know, it, it, that really didn't concern me much. I mean, you know, look, look, let's be real. In real life, people are fickle. Like any life, doesn't matter Christian or not. Politically, religiously, culturally, people are fickle. You can think you have a friend and the next thing you know, you say the wrong thing, they're not your friend anymore. The, the cost of friendship is... is it's not that I, I, it's not that it's not that great. I would say a greater cost is your your moments that you have to be able to to make a statement about something that you know is wrong and that you say it anyway, and now you got a problem. Especially today in these strange political, social kind of days that we have now in America, you you speak anything about the truth, pretty much people are going to get mad. I've I've done it down on the cor- on the corner. I see some young girls walking by. They got three, four hickeys on their side. They're wearing short, short, short shorts, you know, down the street. I know they've been sexually active. You can tell they are. They're advertising. And I have 10 seconds to the right and to the left. I have 20 seconds as they walk by. And I might say something like, and by the way, God does say that if you live a promiscuous life and you sleep with Tom, Dick, and Harry, and you're not married to them, uh, you're not going to get in the kingdom. Sorry, I hate to tell you this bad news. The good news is if you change your ways and follow Christ, you have entrance into the kingdom of God. But if you don't, you're not going to spend eternity with God. If they don't like that, they get mad, they give me the finger, they cuss me out. It's pretty amazing. Is there another way to say that that might be softer that gets your message across? Yes, there is. But you know what? The, the, first of all, if you look through the Gospels and the book of Acts, they didn't mince their words. Jesus would have been told he was a big mouth and he talked talked back to the to the to the to the councils. Paul would have been said, you know, he didn't mind your own business. Peter Peter would have said, you you're you're a crass individual. Stephen they would have said, how come you put the people down? You shouldn't have done that. See what happened? You got yourself killed. Most modern church people would not like the early apostles. They they used very specific, uh, flavorful language to get people's attention. And there's no nice way to say to somebody you have cancer. There is no nice way to say it. And the cancer of the soul is sin. So you tell them that promiscuity is sin. It will kill you. As a matter of fact, Scripture says it's the only sin against your own body. So I, there's no way for me to say, hey, sir, you kind of sort of maybe might be sick. Uh, you can't do that. So you got to be pretty strong. When you're strong, you get a reaction and you get a conversation, usually. All right, so you've got so much going on. You are a man of faith. You're an author. You're a shoe shiner. You're a pianist, mm-hmm. if that's the right way to say that. Mm-hmm. You make crosses. You're an artist, and in general, you're a preacher. How do people find you? People find me. Uh, <laughs> I find them. <laughs> How about your email? That's a good way oh, to get a hold of you. That's, yeah, Loseguo, L O S E G U O at yahoo.com. Okay, so that's what he prefers. He's got a phone, but go ahead and email him. Give him the email one more time. Yeah, all small letters, L-O-S-E. 
E-G-U-O at yahoo.com. All right. And he's happy to talk to you about yep. anything regarding faith. That's he, right. Did you hear his deal about the shining shoes? Man, what a good deal that That's is. That's a good deal. Heck of a good deal. Yeah. You've been listening to KKPZ 1330 AM, The Truth. Thank you so much to my guest, Rico Kaplan. And until we meet again next week, be excellent to each other. We'll the unbroken by and by